This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are now officially in Reformation Month. I, I can just sense that you have tingles up and down your spine like we do in the studio off air one of the best ideas i think i've heard not just in in a while but possibly for years was that reese's pieces should put martin luther's face on their candies yeah the 95 reese's yes so mm-hmm. i but that, i think you did coin that a couple well, episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so this could this could be a huge huge market um, in each bag, well, they can have more than ninety-five, but you know, you can have. A special and what show. I would include in each bag is reformer collector cards, uh, because I think that's the tipping point right there. Nice. Who yeah. doesn't want to have Bollinger with his beard in their in their possession? So, if you're in that candy marketing world out there, we can be reached at the Gospel for Life, Idaho at Gmail dot com. That's, right, that's, that's right. right. I don't know if you knew this. But royalties um, welcome too. The the reformer that did have the greatest beard was was Bollinger. Was Bollinger? So it's hands down. It's not even really debated. So even in his day, um, his beard was famous. So mm. there you go. If you needed a little trivia point, there it is. There you go. Impress your friends with that <laughs> little tidbit. We have been talking about 10 Things You Should Know About the Reformation by Tim Chester, who wrote the book Reforming Joy. We talked about the Pope started the Reformation. The Reformation was about sausages. Third, that Luther's marriage was a bit fishy. I'm a dad, and even that makes me cringe just slightly, but I'm letting it go. And then number four is there were 97 theses before there were 95 theses. What in the world is this? Well, it's a reminder that uh, you know Martin Luther actually was provoking debate before the ninety-five theses. You know, there were things that were of concern to Martin Luther uh, before he posted that. In fact, you know, uh, October thirty-first is when he posted uh, the ninety-five theses. September fourth, he had actually written out uh, ninety-seven of these things and posted. And actually, they went far more to the point of the Reformation. You know, you made an observation the other day about the the theological and the social issues uh, that were being addressed. And had the Catholic Church taken care of the social issues, the social abuses, then you probably wouldn't have had a Reformation. And this is kind of goes to that. Um, the, you know, the his uh, first 97 actually were dealing with theological issue and it didn't get the rise out of the people and didn't become the uh, the spark of the Reformation. But it went to a, a number of the uh, issues of the Reformation because it uh, he was disputing regarding sin, um, uh, human will, the nature and experience of Christian salvation. And it was an academic disputation. You know, 
focusing on human nature and divine salvation. These were things that would pop up in his uh, debate uh, with Erasmus on the bondage of the will. His his concern was that the nature of the will is uh, that we're that we're a fallen people, and that we're in bondage to corruption, and we can only do evil continually. And so, uh, that he needs God to save them. Uh, the person needs God to save them. So he stressed that only grace can rescue humanity from its fallen condition. Man can't do anything to prepare themselves for grace. Only God's electing love can. Uh, do that. And so for him, he was an Augustinian monk, and so he was falling, uh, you know, this was part of, in one sense, an Augustinian theology, uh, and he was, he saw how the views of Aristotle were taking over, Aristotle and his reason and all that. So this was part of his disputation. We do not become righteous by righteous deeds, but are made righteous, and therefore we can do righteous things. Just a little historical Note in all of this, this is how they debated things back in the day. They would post things on the door of the wherever in in this particular town, Wittenberg. They he posted these on the on a on a door, and that was his way of the way that at that time in history that you indicated that you wanted to have a debate, that you wanted to have a discussion about these. They were posted. His ninety five theses were posted in Latin, um, which was the language of the church. So this was an inter mural squabble so it wasn't like he was trying to take this to the public mm-hmm. arena but this is where historical setting matters the the printing press has been invented by this point mm-hmm. in time um, by gutenberg and so what happened is somebody took the 95 that were written in latin translated them into german and then took them to a printing press and had them mass produced and so mm-hmm. now what would have been an intermural squabble has become out in society and people were outraged at the things that were happening within the church and now all of a sudden the cat's out of the bag and the rest, if you will, is history. Yeah, so the 97 Theses was more intermural uh, to begin with, you know, even though a month and a half mm-hmm. before he'd published these things. You know, his whole thing was that the gospel was a gift of, of God. Um, it's not something that you could achieve. It was something that you received. The fifth thing that we are to know about the Reformation is the Reformation involved a rediscovery of the work of the Spirit. So Chester's uh, connecting here a disagreement or an argument between Erasmus and Luther in 1524. Uh, Erasmus was Europe's leading celeb- uh, celebrity academic. He thought people already had enough power in and of themselves to do good. And so he defined this idea of free choice as the power of the human will by which a man can apply himself to the things which lead to eternal salvation or turn away from him. Uh, Luther's reply goes this way. It says, you you do not realize how much you attribute uh, to it by this pronoun itself, its very own self, when you say it can apply itself. For this means that you completely exclude the Holy Spirit with all his power as superfluous and unnecessary. And again, Luther's getting back to that heart of uh, the gospel and identity and salvation being a gift from God and not something we merit or can earn of our own accord or works. Yeah, the Erasmus was, was more concerned with just trying harder. You know, we're, we're being lazy or ignorant, and we just need to kind of work harder. And Luther was getting to the point that we need the work of the Holy Spirit in order to really have salvation, even understanding of it. 
There was really a foundational belief at the time by by the Catholic Church that was promoted among the people is, which really can be summarized in do your best and God will do the rest. Mm. That you actually work your way up so far up the ladder and then God will help you get to the top. And really what the Reformation came along and said, no, you can't even get to the first rung of the ladder. Unless you have the working of the Spirit in regeneration, you're not going to make it up any part of the ladder to get to God. And that mm-hmm. really, this highlights that fundamental difference within um, between Protestants and Catholics with regard to it, it, how much human effort is involved, not only in our salvation, but in our sanctification. Yeah. And, and this is what Jesus is teaching you know, Nicodemus in John 3. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can't be enter the kingdom unless we're born again. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that we cannot birth ourselves just like uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We cannot raise ourselves in new life. It's the work of God through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, so Luther's pointing to the necess- necessity of this radical in- transformation, internal transformation that takes place by the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to speak of the Holy Spirit as the sanctifier, the one who's going to create that holiness and sanctification in us. And so, uh, in fact, you know, if you if you want to read more of Luther's opinion about the Holy Spirit or what he brings into the you know when we're talking about the rediscovery of the Holy Spirit, in fact it's not just Luther. Uh, Calvin was referred to as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. They emphasized the Holy Spirit in the regeneration of the believer and in the life of the believer. But uh, Martin Luther's uh, little uh, catechism has a number of questions on the Holy Spirit. So he's introducing the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the special work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit sustains faith in the in the believer and how the Holy Spirit brings faith to us and this gracious work of the Holy Spirit uh, within. One of the things that, one of the lines that Luther wrote in the bondage of the will is, the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic, nor is what he written on our hearts doubts or opinions mm. and uh, and so I, I love that line the holy spirit is not a skeptic mm. the exciting thing is if you're love planning ahead september 27th 28th 2024 um, our conference next year is on the holy spirit ian hamilton and, and john fesco will be coming and, and talking about that so if you want to know more about not only what the reformers thought but you know what the bible teaches on the holy spirit September 27th, 28th, that will be the recorded as the earliest announcement of a conference in the history of the radio program. <laughs> Sixth thing that we should know about the Reformation is the Reformation wasn't about salvation by works, at least not quite. So this goes into this idea that Catholics believe in salvation by works, Reformers believed in salvation by grace. Why is that not quite correct? Well, the Catholic Church would uh, affirm that, yes, there's grace, of course, and we need to have faith. It's, I think it's, it's viewed more of as God's grace just kind of gives us a boost. Righteousness, they would hold, is the God-given ability to live a righteous life as long as you work at it. Their view of baptism kind of gives you a kickstart, and the Mass kind of brings you along. And But with that, it's... The Council of Trent is the big one of the big responses to the Reformation, and they clearly reject the idea of that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone, and that 
They say, if anyone says that by faith alone the ungodly are justified in such a way as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to receive the grace of justification and that it is not necessary for man to be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. And the word anathema, is I mean, we don't hear it that much today, but it means let him be condemned. And um, so it, it's, it's, it's a statement that's never been repudiated or changed by the Catholic Church. And so there is this stark difference. It comes down to, to drilling down, like with all good theology, the, the definition of terms. Mm-hmm. When the Catholic, when the Roman Catholic Church uses the word grace, and when the Reformers use the word grace, they meant two different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's grace in the Reformer, Reformed tradition is God's unmerited favor or kindness toward his people. Nothing we can earn or, uh, or make ourselves uh, accessible to it. Uh, the Catholic Church says, no, grace is an infusion of God's favor into you so that you can now merit or earn justification, uh, as you talked about, Ryan, so that, that baptism resets you to zero, and then the Mass brings you along, infusing you with God's grace, almost like, uh, I'll date myself in the 80s video games, remember when little Mario ate the mushroom and he grew to big Mario? Mm-hmm. Same idea. He's empowered and infused with power so that he can perform better. That's this idea of Catholic justification by grace. Mm. And it really becomes a, it's not... So, in uh, the Reformed tradition, in the Protestant tradition, it's not just a Reformed thing. And in the Protestant tradition, it's grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. There's these alones. And in the Catholic tradition, what you're doing is you're always adding something to. Faith Mm -hmm. plus, grace plus. Mm -hmm. And we would say that there isn't a plus. That it has to be, salvation has to be the unilateral work of God alone or we're without hope. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the Gospel for Life. Enjoy Reformation Month. Hopefully the start has been wonderful for you, and then you just have a whole bunch of days ahead of you to celebrate what God has done in history. We'll see you next time.